Open your Bible with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. One of my favorite songs in recent years that we sing as a church is the one we just sang, Is He Worthy? It was written in 2018 by uh, some friends of mine, Ben Shive and Andrew Peterson. Uh, Most of the hymns that we sing either uh, lead us to praise the Lord for a specific attribute that he possesses, or they confess our need and dependence upon him. Some point us to the sufficiency of the work of Christ or teach us an important doctrine that we're able to mull over and praise the Lord for as we sing. Others call us to live consecrated lives in response to who God is. This song is primarily a reminder of who Jesus is, calling us to trust that he's in control that he will soon return, bringing about the consummation of all things. Uh, It was written as a call and response, asking a set of questions, but it doesn't just leave us in our questions, it answers back. Uh, If you can pull it out, your little hymn sheet there, and, and look along if you'd like. The first verse helps us look around our world and acknowledge the darkness and brokenness that we see in headlines, and on social media, and the brokenness that we see when we look in the mirror. Yet it also reminds us that even the thickest shadows cannot stop the light of Christ. And and then it asks us this interesting question, do you wish that you could see all things made new? Now just imagine that, no more war. The end of sin, the last day of disease, the expiration of death, all things new. That's what awaits us as the people of God. Christ returns and renews all things. Each of us who long for that day gladly answer, we do, we do. The song then continues, verse 2, is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. The songwriters used the language of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, which says that the whole creation is groaning under the weight of the fall, but the day is coming where that weight will be lifted once and for all. And until that day comes, the glory of the Lord is the light that shines in and among the people of God, the light that will lead us home. Is it good that we gather week by week and remind ourselves of this? It is. This is one of the reasons we gather for corporate worship. To remind ourselves that we live between the already of the kingdom and the not yet of the kingdom of God. But the day is coming where the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And so this brokenness that we live in, the weight that we live under, one day will be lifted. I have been moved to tears more than once singing those truths in this cafetorium. (laughs) 
with you, uh, my church family, as we groan together under the weight of the fall. But that doesn't lead us to despair. No, we look with hope to the future, to the promised day. As a fellow struggler, I often need to be reminded of these truths. What do you need to be reminded of this morning? Perhaps you have questions you've been asking for a long time that don't seem to be answered, or the darkness that you see in this world causes your heart to tremble. Maybe you've been praying the same prayer over and over, asking God again and again for something to change. Well, this passage we're looking at today, written over 3,500 years ago, speaks to us now tugging at some of the deepest questions of our hearts. Does God hear me when I call? Does God remember me? Does God see the situation that I'm in? Does God know what I'm going through? The resounding cry from the book of Exodus, specifically our text today, is yes. Yes. The final verses of Exodus 2 link the heartache of the first two chapters with the story of redemption contained in the chapters that follow. They they make an important historical contribution recording events that happened in the life of the Israelites while they were living in Egypt. They also make a significant theological contribution teaching us something of the character and the nature of God himself toward his people. I've entitled the sermon the knowing God. Because what I believe the burning message of this passage is, is that we as the people of God are a fully heard, always remembered, completely seen, wholly known, beloved people. So there's two sections. I want to divide these three verses into Uh, each revolving around a form of communication. God's people crying out, and then God hearing them. So first, the cry of God's people, verse 23, and then verse 24 and 25, God hears his people cry. The cry of God's people, God hears his people cry. So, If you're able to stand, please let me invite the congregation to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Full of instruction, let those with ears to hear, hear. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you be seated? The first communication we hear sounding through this passage is the cry of God's people. Verse 23 begins with the phrase, during those many days. Now, 
the days mentioned are referring to the 40 years that Moses spent in Midian, which we looked at last week. Just as a rehearsal, uh, Moses murdered an Egyptian guard and he ran and ran and ran all the way to Midian, where he saved a group of women from some bully shepherds. He got married and had a son. That's a pretty good resume right there. So Moses made his life in Midian. We'll learn next week that he's now given a profession as a shepherd. He's a husband. He's a father. That's where Moses is at. But what about the people of God back in Egypt? Well, these verses tell us three important events that happened during those years back in Egypt. The first event is that the evil Pharaoh who had oppressed God's people died. And all the people said, that's right. So this is the man who enslaved the Israelites. He ordered hard labor on them, commanded the labor and delivery nurses to kill these infant-born males, and then got all of the nation in on murder, the murder of the Hebrew boys. And so, alas, Pharaoh is no more. Uh, the heart rate of the reader can go back to normal now that we know that this guy has been put underground. And for Moses personally, this meant freedom and safety because the man who'd been hunting his life was now gone. That's the first thing. The evil Pharaoh who had oppressed God's people died. The second event, and you have to read between the lines to see this, but we'll soon be told that a new Pharaoh had come to power But here's the thing, the second event is that Israel remained in slavery. They remained in slavery. Often when there's a change in power, there's a change in national policy. But any hope that this new Pharaoh would be benevolent toward the Hebrews is quickly stomped on. As we're told that the people are held in captivity. And then the third event is remarkably significant. God's people cry out to him. It may surprise us that with all the suffering that we've been told of in chapters 1 and 2, this is the first time that the mention of any kind of audible cry from the people of God is, uh, is brought forth. After 400 years of carrying this burden of slavery, it's just too much. They cry out to God. Now, if we step back and and think about the narrative of the Old Testament, we see this again and again in the history of God's people. God will rescue them. They will worship him for a season. Then they'll turn to idols. And so God will raise up an oppressive force to get their attention, having some kind of dominion over them. And then they will repent and cry out to God. He'll hear their cry, forgive their sin, set them free. They'll worship him for a while and so forth and so on. But here in the book of Exodus, there's no mention of sin from the people of God. As a matter of fact, there's never an answer for why the 400 years of slavery at all. They're simply being held captive. And in Exodus 2.23, the silence of God's people is broken by a desperate, heartfelt, eager-to-be-heard cry to their maker. So, 
During those many days, the Egyptians were thriving through the oppression of God's people as they sought to build the most powerful nation on earth. During those many days, Moses was in Midian, having settled into a new life, far from the exhaustion and hearing the cry of his people back in Egypt. During those many days, God's people began to cry out for deliverance. During those many days, God was silently at work, working all things according to his plan and his purpose so that his people might be set free and they would worship him. God hasn't even spoken in the book of Exodus, but even in the silence, God is speaking. One word is not enough to describe how deep this cry of God's people was. They're agonizing. Moses uses in the Hebrew four different words to describe how they feel and what they're doing as they call upon God. In English, it's translated with two words, just repeated. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And then to borrow from verse 24, they groaned even more. Scripture never repeats itself accidentally. God wants us to know how serious, how deep, how consistent, how loud the groaning of his people was. They're in a situation they cannot get out of. There's no human way possible. They're at the end of the rope. They desperately need God. What area of your life do you desperately need God? I've, I've been a Christian, all of them. I've been a Christian for 35 years, and uh, I have never gone too long when I didn't desperately need the Lord. If there's not a situation present, you're aware of in your life right now, there will be before you blink twice, where you'll feel the shadows deepen and the darkness overwhelm you. And here, what we learn from the example of God's people is that we, as the people of God, cry out to him. Are you enslaved to some pattern of sin this morning? Cry out to the Lord. Are you in some kind of situation, maybe a, a relationship or, or something in your life where you feel so desperate, you don't feel the nearness of God walking you through it? Call out to the Lord. Have you been running from the Lord your entire life? Hardened your heart toward him and, and run from his grace Yet here you sit in a Christian church with the free offer of his grace readily available. Cry out to the Lord. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ as your Savior. That's how we become one of God's people. And that's how we live as God's people. Dependently upon him for everything. This is the cry of God's people. Verse 23 Verses 24 and 25, we see that God hears his people cry. 
So far, we've only heard the earthly perspective of this conversation. Now let's see how heaven responds. This is a remarkable passage we're about to read. So, so far in the book of Exodus, God has only been mentioned one time. It was in chapter one, verse seven. There we saw it was God's plan to bless his people, to make them fruitful and multiply. Since then, we've seen uh, the people taken hostage, oppressed, and murdered. And not one mention of God. And technically, he doesn't even speak here yet either. This is Moses prophetically communicating to us God's heart for his people. Verses 24 and 25 are a golden glimpse into the very mind of God the very intention of God, the very heart of God toward his people. So we noted there are four different words used in the Hebrew to describe how God's people cry out to him. This won't surprise you. There are four words that describe God's heart toward them in response. These are remarkable words. Listen. God heard God remembered, God saw, and God knew. What a gift those words are. Let's let's walk through them, and let's think theologically what this means about the nature of God. So this is what I think Moses is doing here. Moses, the shepherd, is pastoring the people of God by reminding them who he is. Moses is pastoring us as the people of God, telling us what our shepherd is like. One, God heard. God was attentive to the cry of his people. He didn't turn a deaf ear to their plea. Rather like David in in Psalm 18.6 says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Here it is, from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. For those of you suffering, questioning, that is good news this morning. When Addie and Avery, our now 13-year-old daughters, growing older every day, were just wee ones in the house, um, probably the age of two, they had just gone to big girl beds. We lived in a two-story house, and their room was at the top. Jamie and, uh, and my room was far, far away from the children, right? And, um, but we had one of those cursed monitors. You know what I'm saying? Like now, all of you young parents have like 4K. You can see your child's heartbeat and everything. <laughs> then it was just like, if they're screaming, you'll know. Well, they went through this, this uh, season of night terrors, and um, it was brutal. Both of them would just run down the stairs, screaming cries of sheer dread, and I would be in the dead of sleep and just awake hearing these screams happening in the house. I was halfway up the stairs before you could say Oklahoma. <laughs> Jame, am I right? My reflex was just magical. Yeah, up and at them while you slept. So wonderful. <laughs> And so I would, 
anybody who's been us, around us longer than a week knows that she does all the work. <laughs> but so I, w- I would scoop up these girls, one with each arm, and I would say, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And I am uh, an imperfect father. That's how it is with God as our Father. He hears you. He hears the cry of his people. He cares. He's got us. God heard. The second thing is God remembered. This word remember carries with it some activity. This is not a passive God. It has some activity. When Scripture says God remembered, it's telling us that God is about to act. Specifically, he's going to act in his faithfulness to his word and his promises. What is it that God remembered? Well, it tells us his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Well, that reminds us back to chapter 1 where Exodus opened, pointing us back to the book of Genesis It got us thinking about the God who makes covenant with creaturely beings, us. His covenant with Adam and Eve, with Noah, with uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Just for those of you wanting references of the covenants that he has in mind, with Abraham, it's Genesis 15, verses 17 through 19. With Isaac, Genesis 17, verse 19. And with Jacob, Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12. Now, I'm going to summarize those three covenants by saying that God had promised to his people, I'll give you a land, and I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and through you I'm going to bless the entire world. God had promised to be their God, and that they would be his people. And Moses wants us to know that God could not forget his promises. But kids, look at me real quick. God does forget some things. Does that sound crazy to you? It should at first sound crazy to you. God does forget some things. The omniscient, all-knowing God has chosen to forget some things. Specifically, he has forgotten our sins. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 43, 25 echoes, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. As the people of God, we must understand what God remembers and what God forgets. Some of us spend a lot of time remembering what God has long forgotten. And some of us spend a lot of time worrying over things that God has long ago promised. And for all of us, we turn to Exodus 2.24 and know that God has forgotten our sin, but he will never forget us. Our names are graven on the palm of his hand, covered in the blood of the Lamb, never to be forgotten. He remembers his people. He remembers every promise he's made. God remembers. 
Third, God saw. So like he heard their cry earlier, here he sees the people of Israel. Uh, He's using anthropomorphic language. He's, He's assigning to God human language that helps us understand how God relates to his people. They're never outside of his watchful care. Every occurrence of suffering, he sees. Every tear that his people have cried, he sees. Every step they take, every move they make, (laughs) he sees. Like Moses stood and watched the suffering of God's people, God watches, inspects, looks into the lives of his people, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The eyes of the Lord had not missed one day of the suffering of God's people. God saw. And fourth, God knew. The chapter ends with this word just hanging in the air. God knew. There's not even an indirect object to help qualify what God knew. Simply, God knew. The word means to know intimately. God knows his people intimately. This word is used of how God knew Moses in Exodus 33, verse 17. We're going to get to that chapter in eight years. <laughs> Moses was known. God knew the hairs on his head and the length of his days before he was born. I want to read the first six verses of Psalm 139 because it is so stunning how David refers to the knowingness of God. He's a known person. Listen to the confidence and comfort he finds in this, in this chapter. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. This kind of knowing is too wonderful for us. And the wonder of God knowing us just blows our minds when we we think about That from the New Testament. Ephesians 1 says that we who are in Christ were chosen before the foundations of the earth were laid. That we were loved and known before there was time. Before we were even born. God's love for his people has no end because it had no beginning. We were known and loved from eternity past. And he is the covenant-keeping God. He's promised himself to us. He will be our God. We will be his people. So what comforts can you take from this passage? For each of us who are in Christ, these comforts are ours. 
God has never turned a deaf ear to his people, but tuned his ear to hear our voice. God has never forgotten his people. Rather, he remembers who they are and whose they are. He will be our God. We will be his people. God has never closed his eyes to our pain. Instead, he sees every tear we cry. And God has not overlooked one element of the suffering of his saints. He knows. So brothers and sisters, what God communicates to the Israelites about himself in Exodus 2 is filled with the same sentiment of the promises that God has spoken to us today. God sees our desperate need of him, our frailty, our creatureliness, and his heart is filled with love toward us. Ultimately, we look to the cross of Christ where God has heard and answered our need of deliverance from sin. At the cross, God remembered and acted on our behalf in his promise to crush the head of the serpent and redeem for himself a people. At the cross, Christ saw our desperate need and made full provision for our sin through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. At the cross, Christ knew what it would take to redeem for himself a people, God himself standing in the place of ruined sinners so that sinners could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And there we've completed the first two chapters of Exodus. There's been no mention of any plan of redemption yet. In fact, there seems to be no, no deliverer on the way to save the people of God. Moses has made a new life in Midian. But these verses set the stage for the story to follow, for God will soon flex his power and redeem his people by his own strength and for his own glory. These three verses help us understand not only this hinge in the book of Exodus, but the whole storyline of the Bible. As God proves again and again that he is the God who sees, the God who remembers, the God who hears, and the God who knows. What do you need to be reminded of this morning? Does God hear me? Does God remember me? Does God see me? Does God know me? And the resounding cry from the book of Exodus, yes. Yes, he does. Let's pray. Oh, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it gives to us, for the identity that it gives to us as your people. We thank you that even in the silence you speak and that we're not a people just left in our questions but are given answers in your word. Let us be faithful in searching your word and knowing it and believing it to be true. Thank you for the way that you know us so intimately. 
that your ear is tuned to the voice of your children. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.